prophets, religions, and books. Islam. 3. In Islam, the Quran al-Karim embodies the law. Hence, the Quran contains some very oppressive rules, which are looked upon as forms of cruelty today. An example of this is the mutilation of a thief's hand. Some people say, this assertion is wrong. It is true that the Qur'an al-Karim contains the rule of mutilating the hands of those who steal. But what is meant by thieves in the text are those who savagely attack the homes of innocent people to burn, destroy and usurp. The Qur'an al-Karim commands that their hands be cut off when they are caught. But its execution depends on conditions. The absence of those conditions prevents its execution. Hadrat Ali an, specifically commanded that the hands of those who stole during the famine not to be cut off. If this law is applied wrongly in some countries in the name of Islam, the culpability belongs to those who apply it wrongly, but not to Islam. It has not been executed in real Islamic countries that apply the principles of the Islamic religion correctly. This is because the conditions for the implementation of hand mutilation did not exist. Aware of the penalty revealed in the Quran al-Karim, nobody dared to commit those types of crimes. In Islamic countries, no one, not even the judges, has a right to forgive the penalty called Had. This penalty is inflicted upon those who committed a crime which requires a Had penalty and execution in front of the public. With the fear of being subjected to this penalty, nobody commits, or rather, nobody can commit these sorts of crimes. Now let us take a look at the Holy Bible that is in the hands of today's Christians. It is written as follows in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18, 8. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life, halt or maimed, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. The 14th verse of the 31st chapter of Exodus in the Torah states, Ye shall keep the Sabbath therefore, for it is holy unto you. Every one that defileth it shall surely be put to death. This proves that it is also in the Holy Bible that it is correct to cut off the hand or foot of those who commit a grave sin. Medicine given by a doctor may be found bitter by an unhealthy person. He may think that it is of no use and may even believe that it is dangerous for him to use it. But when he trusts the understanding of his doctor and thus uses the medicine, he gets well. Allah Ta'ala, the Almighty, being a specialist on all kinds of diseases of the heart, soul and body, commands hand mutilation as a cure for the disease of stealing. When every Muslim knows this commandment and when it is heard that some hand mutilations have been executed on a couple of thieves, there won't be any further habit of stealing due to the fear of its punishment. The disease of stealing will disappear.
Thus, people will no longer experience the sorrow of having their property stolen, and none will suffer from hand mutilation. 4. Islam takes willpower away from man, attributes everything to fate, and thus renders man lethargic, supine and inactive, they say. This assertion is completely wrong too. On the contrary, Islam commands people to work incessantly, to use their minds well, to learn every kind of novelty, to have recourse to every sort of lawful means for success, and never to get tired or bored. Allah Ta'ala expects His slaves to decide on and perform their own actions to the best of their ability. The meaning of the word fate is totally different. Only in case a Muslim cannot attain success after using his mind, having recourse to all means and working with his utmost energy to perform some action, should he then not feel sorry but be contented with his fate, admitting that the result is something which Allah deemed to his advantage. Otherwise, it is a grave sin to wait for one's luck by taking one's ease and opening one's mouth without working, learning or striving. Allah Ta'ala declares in the 39th verse of chapter Najm, Man can have nothing in the hereafter but what he strives for in the name of Allah Ta'ala. In the following discourse on knowledge and science in Islam, we shall see how highly Muslims esteem learning and working. Sometimes men cannot attain exactly what they want, howsoever hard they work, and have recourse to every means. This is the time for them to admit that some power above their own plays a major part in their work, affects men's life and success, and guides them. That is what we call fate. Fate is at the same time a great source of consolation. A Muslim who says, I have done my duty, but this is my luck which I cannot change, does not give up hope even if he fails at some task, but continues to work with his heart being completely free from anxiety. The meaning of a verse in chapter Inshura of the Quran Al-Kareem is, yet hardship will bring ease. Indeed, hardship must bring ease. So whenever you have finished, still toil on. Towards your Lord direct your longing. It means that it is necessary to continue to work despite the frustrations felt upon failure. On the other hand, a non-Muslim whose only interest is in the material aspects of something or a heathen who does not believe in any religion loses his hope, courage and determination to work when he meets with failure, so much so that he cannot work anymore. People all over the world began to believe in fate after the Second World War. It was stated in many European and American publications. What Muslims have termed fate certainly is true. No matter how much we work, it has been impossible to change events. 
a person who is involved in some misfortune such as bereavement or the loss of property can find consolation only in his belief in fate and by putting his trust or tawakkul in Allah Ta'ala and then resuming his daily life. However, it must be kept in mind that before having tawakkul, it is a must to look for a remedy for every problem by using the mind and by having recourse to all means. 5. They say, by prohibiting interest, the Islamic religion stands against the present economic system of the world. This assertion is wholly untrue too. Islam does not prohibit earning or borrowing, but usury and exploiting borrowers. Earning, which is done honestly and merely for commercial purposes, is not prohibited, but, on the contrary, it is especially appreciated and encouraged by Islam. Hadrat Muhammad wasallam, stated, Allah Ta'ala loves the tradesman. The tradesman is his beloved and he himself traded too. It has an important place in Islam's trade rules for a person who cannot trade by himself to invest his money in his friend's stock or in a business company and get his share from the profit his friend makes. The share which a person gets from a bank earning money only by commercial business without interest is completely halal, meaning legal in Islam. A bank earning money without interest and its advantages have been written in detail in our Ilmulhal book, Sadat Abadiyah or Endless Bliss. Chapter Maida of the Quran Al-Karim informs us that interest, which is prohibited in Islam, was also haram, meaning illegal or prohibited, in the Tawrat or Torah too. As an example, the 19th verse of the 23rd chapter of Deuteronomy states, Thou shalt not lend upon usury to thy brother, usury of money, usury of rituals, usury of anything that is lent upon usury. Unto a stranger thou mayst land upon usury.